You're listening to the GNU World Order, episode 391. In this episode, we're going to continue our journey through the AP software set of Slackware Linux. But of course, if you're not running Slackware Linux, this is still probably relevant to you, because any distribution of Linux comes with lots of binaries on on your system that you probably just never really took notice of. Some of them you probably will have used in the background without really realizing it. Others you just kind of use and take for granted, and still others you have never noticed. You've never used them. So looking through all of those packages that get installed on a Linux operating system can be kind of elucidating. You might find something that you really, really enjoy, or something that you you realize you don't actually need installed. Why would I say that right before starting an episode? Well, we'll find out momentarily. So in this uh, this episode, we're finishing up the AP package set. We're looking at Workbone, XFS Dump, and ZSH. So Workbone is a terminal-based CD player. It, It controls a CD drive that, I guess is meant to play sound. This is an old application. If I look at the info or the man page for this by typing in info workbone, it tells me that it is an interactive text mode program for controlling and playing audio CD-ROMs under Linux. And this is Workbone 2.4, or at least this man page refers to Workbone 2.4, dated 02 December 97. It says it was tested with Linux kernel 1.0.9, 1.1, and several 2.1 kernels. Now, I don't know how much you know about the Linux kernel, but the the one that I'm running right now, I think, is 5.9 or 5.10, something like that. We haven't seen a 2.4 kernel in ages, and I don't even know when the 2.1 series would have been around. Oh, wait, I could probably guess. 97? So this is, um, this is kind of an older application compared to anything else on this um, computer, I think. And so we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, so if I type in Workbone, just... Uh, just work bone. I get well. So I've connected my US, uh, USB CD drive to my tower. Uh, initially, I had plugged it into a USB uh, um, hub that was then plugged into my monitor that is then plugged into my tower. I I, I realize that that's a little bit unconventional. That's a lot of sort of daisy chaining. Didn't really expect that to necessarily work, and it didn't. The system just didn't quite recognize that there was a drive attached. Or if it did, it wasn't putting it in a standard place, and I couldn't quite access it. So, plugged it straight into my tower, tested it with K3B, does exist, the system sees it, we're good to go, I think. I could have tested it with a couple of other tools that we've talked about in the past, CD, CD, what is it, CD lib, lib CD read or something like that, I don't know, CD tools. Um, And then I decided to launch Workbone, and that's when the troubles really kicked off. So Workbone uh, shows a, well, it shows a bunch of garbled text for me when I launch it in console, the virtual, the, the, the emulated terminal, the emulated um, shell uh, of of KDE console. So then I tried RxVT, that didn't work either, and then I switched over to just a, a, a console, a text console on my system, Control-Alt, what is it, Control-Alt-F, yeah, F1 or F2 or whatever, and launched it from there and, and it displayed correctly. So came back to the GUI uh, desktop and launched Workbone-A. Workbone-A, according to the man page, launches it uh, in a 7-bit ASCII mode so that if, you are, if your terminal 
that you're trying to use this in isn't rendering things correctly, you can get around that with workbone-a. So that's what I did, and it displays a little menu, essentially, or a, really it's a legend of what the controls available to you are. And they're all mapped to a number pad. So if you don't have a number pad, you cannot use this application. Most, I think, laptops typically have a, a you know, kind of a, a numlock mode where you can turn, I don't know, what is it, U-I-O-J-K-L-M greater than, less than, or, or less than, greater than, rather, um, into sort of a, a, an emulated number pad. But it does, it relies on a number pad. You cannot fake it and use your num the, the, the number on your keyboard, like the number row. You It has to be a, a, the, the number pad. And if you turn off numlock and try to use this thing, it, it pops up a warning that says you need to turn numlock on or activate your numpad or something like that. So this little legend on the screen is kind of a visual, you, you map it visually to your number pad. And the symbols are not super clear, but Essentially, it maps out to 7 being stop, 8 being pause, 9 being play. And then 4, 5, and 6 is uh, 4 and 6 is back back some number of seconds and forward number some number of seconds. 5 is, I think, restart the current track. And then 1, 2, 3 maps to, again, 1 to, and 3 are both, like, back and forward some other number of seconds. And 2, according to the documentation, is a an, a way to exit, to, to exit the control interface, but keep the music playing. That is not what actually happens, though. When you hit 2, it ejects the CD. So I'm not sure why the help menu tells it says one thing, and I think the, the man page says another, and then and then the actual control does something entirely different. So that's that's wrong. And then there, we've got a, a zero for quit, and the dot is shows the, the help screen, some some help information, quick on-screen help menu. So and again that 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 is incorrect somewhat. The the, the double dots mapped to the numeral two on your number pad is mislabeled. It says abort work bone, but, oh, so that's abort, okay, and then quit is supposed to exit, but keep the music playing, but two doesn't do that, it, uh, it ejects the CD, and at least on my computer, it keeps work bone active, so there you go, um, so that's, that's work bone, um, the, the way that this whole experiment ends is that it doesn't seem to work, I, I do know that my CD drive is active. I do know, like, other other applications can see it and read the CD in the drive. So everything should, as far as I can tell, should be working. But Workbone just doesn't seem to, to recognize that. So what I'm going to do as one last-ditch effort here, live, as I'm recording this, um, not that that actually matters, Workbone-A for the 7-bit ASCII display, dash D for the device. So I'm going to do slash dev slash sr0, because by default it's looking at dev cd-rom. I'm going to point it at dev sr0, just because maybe maybe that'll help it find things. So here we are back in Workbone. I'm going to hit 9 to play. I'm not hearing anything. really feel the drive responding in any way. I'm going to hit 2, and it says cd eject input output error error. Yeah, input output error. So, so I'm not... I'm not entirely sure of sort of what this what this wants from me, but it is definitely not working uh, as advertised. Now, in the man page, it does say very clearly, and the README says that, note that Workbone works with most CD-ROM drives. However, some any C drives use non-standard proprietary audio commands, and Workbone will not function with these non-standard drives. Now, I don't have an NEC drive as far as I know. It is labeled ASUS. I guess it, you know, who knows what the 
sort of the the guts of the drive actually are. I've never really I've never bothered looking at that, but uh, it could just be that that I got the uh, a lucky drive that that does not work that doesn't use like standard commands or something, or it could be for all I know that Workbone uses really really old I don't know protocols or something and and it just it, it it's outdated. I do not know and I have no other way of testing because that's my only functioning CD drive and. So that's Workbone. Um, let's talk a little bit quickly, just just because I, I feel like if we walk away from this now, then we've we've kind of left ourselves unable to operate CDs. So let's talk a little bit about what the options are for CDs, for audio CDs on Linux. I mean, I, I don't know how common these things are anyway nowadays. Uh, I know that I've certainly gotten rid of most of my CDs. I do have some. And so I'm going to actually, I'll use a different, no, I'll use the same, right, yeah, same CD. So I'm putting, I'm, I'm reloading everything now that I'm going to try a different application. Uh, there are a couple of different applications to play CDs on Linux. One of them is, of course, VLC, because this is a media, and there's not a whole lot that uh, VLC doesn't play. So if we go to the media menu in VLC, we go to open disk, click on audio CD it points by default to dev SRO but you can change it to something else it, it SR0 works fine on on Slackware uh, and then I'll just click play and it takes it a moment to, to sort of parse everything and figure out what what's on the disk but then it starts playing and and it just kind of works correctly there's also if you want to stay in the terminal there's m player so that would be m player and then cdda colon slash slash and then the track that you want to play hit return takes it a while because it's a cd and it's playing so there are two alternatives to workbone in case you had been banking on workbone as your cd player so i'm gonna uninstall workbone Remove PKG, Workbone, and it is gone. Now we're going to move on to XFS Dump. XFS Dump is essentially a backup application. It says it's um, XFS Dump backs up files and their attributes in a file system. The files are dumped to storage media, a regular file, or standard output. Options allow the operator to have all files dumped, just files that have changed since a previous dump, or just files contained in a list of path names. The XFS Restore utility repopulates a file system with the contents of the dump. So if you're if you're familiar with uh, like MariaDB or a, a database, you, you might know of of doing a, a database dump into some format and then you can take that dump and sort of upload it into another database if you want to and that, and that, or or upload it to the same database uh, if, if should should the uh, it should it become corrupt at some point. So this is kind of it's same terminology, and I'm not sure, I don't know enough about file systems or XFS to know why exactly they've chosen this specific terminology. I do think it's interesting that they did choose this specific terminology, and I wouldn't mind learning more about why. Was it just because the developers or the documentation, well, I guess the developers would have named it. Did they just they just think of things in terms of databases, or is there some technical reason that they feel that this is more like a database dump than it is a, a, a sort of a, a playback mechanism, for instance, uh, like a, to a tape drive and so on. It's just kind of interesting. 
It's neither here nor there. And let's do a real quick look into slash var slash log slash packages xfs dump just to get an idea of what binaries we're actually going to be looking at. As expected, xfs dump and xfs restore are the two commands that this package provides. Okay, so what we're going to do is generate a an xfs file system because I don't have one attached to this computer. But I do have a little tiny USB drive here that I don't think has anything important on it. So we'll just do kind of, um, well, we'll do a list block just to get a feel for what my highest drive designation is, EFG, it looks like G. So this, if I plug this into my USB hub, I should see a dev SDH in the next time I do an LSBLK, and indeed I do. SDH1 is 16 megabytes, and the full drive itself has 1.8 gigs available. So I think I can safely do an mkfs.xfs, and I'll do dash dash help. So this is making an XFS file system. Uh, I guess I could give it a label. So for that, it's a dash capital L, and I'll just call it my XFS drive. And then that's the dev SDH1. And it's warning me that that will overwrite an existing file system. And that is okay, so I'm gonna use the dash F designator option to, to do that. Okay, so now I'm gonna just unattach the drive and then reattach the drive just to kind of kick everything. And now it looks like I've got a little tiny 16 megabyte file system on this XFS drive. I'm mounting it in KDE and it's empty. If I do a mount now though, I should see that SDH1 type XFS. Correct. Okay, cool. So now I need to populate this drive with some stuff. So I'm going to go to this little tiny XFS drive and throw some files into it. It is a very small file system, so I won't have a whole lot of room to play with, but I think I've got enough random text files that I could probably, probably put some some stuff on here. So I'm just taking some text files from, I think this is Alien Bob's KDE files, and of course I can't write to that drive. And the reason I can't write to that drive is because it's a POSIX file system without the required permissions for me, just a normal user, to write files to that drive. So what I typically do in this case is with sudo permissions, I do a make dir on the path run media clat2 my xfs drive and then i'm just going to call this uh 777 is literally the the directory that i'm going to create and then i'm going to uh set again with sudo i'm going to set chmod 777 on run media uh clat2 xfs my xfs drive 777 so in that directory i should have full permissions to write a bunch of files as needed and that seemed to have worked. So here's here's another interesting file. It's a GCC package. I'll just throw that on there, some checksums. Okay, so that's that's a, a fair number of files now on this little tiny file system. And actually I'm gonna just just for kicks, I think I'm going to set some ACL permissions on this drive. First I'll get git FACL on run media clat to my XFS drive 777. That is user RWX, or rather user, yeah, user RWX, group RWX, and uh, mask RWX, and other RWX. So I'm going to set as sudo, I'm going to set FACL dash M for modify, and maybe I'll do, yeah, okay. Um, and then I'll do U 
Clatu uh, u colon Clatu colon R W X. So that'll set me. That'll give me ACL permissions to this to this directory. Run media. Clatu my XFS drive seven seven seven. And then I'll do that again. Except instead of u colon Clatu colon R W X, I'm going to do g colon users. That's my catch-all user group users colon rwx on that same directory and then and then i'll do that for other as well so that's just o colon colon rwx and then finally i'm going to do a set facl dash m u colon bogus colon r that's a just a bogus user that i keep for testing slash run media clatu my drive 777 and then i'll just randomly choose a file here how about checksums.md5 so now if i do a git facl on that same file i should see that there's an yeah there's a new entry here user colon bogus colon read read permissions only for checksums.md5 i just thought i would add some kind of attribute just so we can test the xfs dump utility which can happen now i think because we're we're ready for this uh for this backup to occur syntax is pretty simple it's xfs dump dash f for as in file uh, to set the destination so in this case i'll just do home slash home slash clat 2 slash demo slash my xfs back up dot img and then i need to give it the path to the file system that is getting dumped now note that the file system is mounted right now it is still mounted and that's that's not i'm not going to point it to the mount point i'm going to point it to the device corresponding to that mount point. So in this case, that's slash dev slash slash sdh1. And then I'll hit return, and it offers me a dump label dialog. Please enter a label for this dump session. All right, well, I'll just type in my first, actually just my first, it's less typing, so my first. And it, it starts to do the dump. It, it constructs a list, a dump list, and, and gives me an estimate of the size 200, uh, no, 2,180,096 bytes. But then it interrupts this process, and it, it prompts me for a media label dialog, which is different than a dump label dialog. So I'll just type in uh, demo, demo media, and hit return again. And now it creates the dump session media file 0, media 0, file 0, dumping ino map, dumping directories, dumping non-directory files, ending media files, and so on. So it goes on like that for, I don't know, all of maybe a millisecond and then it returns that the dump status was a success now i called it a dot img i don't really know the convention i guess i could have called it like a a, a dot dump or something like that because it's it's really not an img and that's probably a poor choice of a of an extension because it it isn't an image it, it is a it's essentially a, a database dump, but we'll we'll just we'll go with that because that's what I, I called it. But I guess in real life I, I wouldn't call it a .img because that would mislead myself into thinking, oh, I could just mount that .img. For instance, mount -o loop home clat two demo my xfs backup .img slash mnt slash hd. Well, of course that's not going to work. It says bad option, bad super block on dev loop zero, and so on because it's. This is not, we didn't just DD the file system into a file. This is just a, a database dump. In fact, I guess if I wanted to, I could just change the, the file name. In fact, I'm going to do that because I'm really disturbed that I called it a .img without really thinking. So I'm going to rename this thing to myxfsbackup.fsdump. 
Now I know exactly what it is. Okay, now we are going to try to restore this, but in order to restore it, we need we need a, a place to restore it to. So I guess, I guess I'll just remove everything in slash run slash media slash clatu slash my xfs drive slash 777 uh in fact i'll just remove 777 so i'm gonna actually have to do that okay so now if i do an ls on this my xfs drive there are no files there i've destroyed everything and i i, I could do more severe things but i i think for for demonstrations this is simple enough i, I don't think i need to zero things out or anything like that. So now we, we get to look at the next command in the in the in the toolkit here, and that is of course XFS restore. XFS restore does the the reverse. It does the opposite. It restores file systems from a dump produced by XFS dump. And the syntax is uh, similarly relatively simple for this use case. It can get more complex if if you're um, if you're doing incremental restores and that sort of thing, but we're not in this case. So I'm just going to do an XFS restore dash F as in file and then point it to home clatu demo my XFS backup dot FS dump and then we'll give it the the essentially the, de the destination which in this case is slash dev slash SDH one and that fails because I forgot that in XFS restore you don't give it the mount you don't give it the uh, the device you give it the mount point so back that up and do slash run slash media slash clatu slash my XFS drive and that should be it yep it is okay now we're doing this again and this time it says that the restore status was a success so now if I open up this little drive in my file manager I see that there's a folder there 777 and in that folder there's a bunch of files now of course we we, we adjusted some file attributes on some of these so I'm going to get F ACL on slash run slash media slash clatu slash my XFS drive 777 and it looks like all the attributes are there. User clatu gets RWX by def uh, gets R R uh, RWX group users RWX other RWX. And then if you'll recall, we also did that to a checksums.md5 file. We set user gort to have read-only access. And sure enough, if I do a get facl on checksums.md5, I see here an entry that the user Gort gets read-only access. So that worked pretty much as designed, I think, no complaints. There are, of course, like I say, there are some, there are some file, there are some options to do uh, incremental dumps. So this is kind of nice. This is almost, in a little bit of a way, very specifically for XFS, this is a little bit like an RDIF backup because you can do a delta dump defined as either an incremental dump, XFS dump dash L uh, with level greater than zero, or a resumed dump, which is uh, XFS dump dash capital R. So there's there's quite a bit of, of, of flexibility here. Uh, and you don't have to do the whole thing either. You can do a subtree within within your restore and that's the dash s option for subtree you can point it to some other you know some some directory that you want to mess around with and you don't want to mess around with anything else and so on so it's 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 a nice little utility uh, and i'm glad to know about it i don't use xfs all that often for no good reason i know that it's a good file system i have confidence in it i use it at work because it's the default on rel 8 and i think it was the default on rel 7 used to be i think the default on fedora you can you can correct me if i'm wrong there but and now fedora is defaulting i think to butter fs 
as of like Fedora 32 or something. So it's kind of that's kind of a new thing. So I mean, I don't I don't have problems with XFS. I just I just don't use it all that often yet. I might switch to it. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, this is a nice utility. I, I appreciate this. This is good. This is a, a great little utility to have. I think file systems ought to have lots of little utilities. I really do. I think that they're really, really useful. I, I like that about file systems when they have things to help you manage the file system. That's one of the reasons I, I don't really use um, the ISO 9660, uh, um, what is it, UDF, Universal Disk Format, as much as I used to, uh, because they don't have, well, journaling, for one, I think, um, and they don't have a couple of little minor utilities that I just feel like a modern file system ought to have. just kind of feel like that should be something that we we have access to. So it is nice to have interfaces for all the different features of, for instance, XFS. And this is, that's a great one. So now that we've backed up and restored, let's go get a cup of coffee. Come back and we'll talk about ZSH. I hope by you as well. I am drinking Red Honey Honduras. That's the name of the coffee. Red Honey Honduras. And it is very good. It's supposed to be a dark roast, but I mean, honestly, I'm not really not really getting that. I don't feel like it's that dark of a roast, which is actually okay. I don't tend to like very dark roasts. I mean, there's a time and a place for everything, but generally speaking, I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan of very dark roasts. And yeah, this is nice. This is a nice one. I've taken lately to drinking my coffee, uh, which I take black normally. Uh, Well, I wouldn't say normally. Sometimes I take it black, sometimes I take it with milk. Um, But lately I've been drinking a lot of black coffee out of a teacup that I got, uh, a friend gave me. Uh, they, They got it from an antique store or like a... I say an antique store. It's, it's a thrift shop, you know, like a, a secondhand store. And it's from Churchill, England, and it's one of those really nice sort of white china uh, teacups with blue designs on it, which is neither here nor there, really, but I swear that the flavor's different when it comes out of a china, like a mug. I don't know if that's if that's your your experience or not, but when I when I drink coffee out of my, my, my sort of favorite coffee tumbler, my travel mug, that's metal. Very it's great at insulation, that's why I like it so much. But there's just something about drinking coffee out of out of a out of a ceramic mug, I think. Or or teacup in this case. Just, I don't know, tastes taste different. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe it's all in the head, psychosomatic, whatever. Um, anyway, let's talk about ZSH. ZSH is a shell, and it is a bash-like shell. In fact, when you first use it, you, you might trick yourself into thinking, or you might trick yourself into believing that you are using bash. Like, it feels very much like Bash if you just kind of use it on the surface. And a lot of people love ZSH. I've tried to fall in love with ZSH, and I just haven't been able to. And on on one hand, I kind of feel silly for not loving it. Because, I mean, you heard me just a couple of episodes ago, two in a row possibly, saying that you should just use the more powerful thing. Don't use Screen, use Tmux. Don't use Man, use Info. And... 
you, you might think that that would be my logic for ZSH. Like, don't use Bash if you have ZSH available, because ZSH has some features that Bash doesn't have. And I think what I'm doing is, I think in this case, well, I'm not, I, I haven't been able to fall in love with ZSH. So I've, I've had no great, there's been no, no, um, very convincing reason to use it. And when considering, well, should I just use it because it's more powerful? When I'm considering that, the thing that comes up in my mind is sort of a, a technological conservatism. Uh, I don't tend to associate myself with the word conservative very much, um, but in the case of technology, I, I tend to be rather conservative because I I want the, the widest uh, footprint of compatibility uh, as possible. And Bash is very compatible. It's very well known. It's kind of standard. It's been around for a long time. And I just feel like it's a very, it's a very, it's a sort of a stalwart of, of shell technology. Whereas ZSH, I just, I don't feel quite as comfortable with. Does it make any sense? Not really. Like, realistically, that's probably, that is very silly. And so what I'm saying is I should be using ZSH. I'm not, and I don't care. So there you go. ZSH. And I, I, I'm, I'm sure that in two years' time, or maybe ten years' time, because I've been saying this for a very long time, but I'm sure at some point I will be using ZSH and saying, you should never use Bash, you should always use ZSH, it's just better, use it, I can't believe it took me this long, and so on. And yet, here I am saying that I'm using Bash, but for this episode, I guess I'll be using, or this half of this episode, I'll be using ZSH. ZSH is installed by default on Slackware. You can make it your default terminal with the change shell command, which is chsh, and that prompts you to give you, to, to, to provide a, a different path to, to a different shell. ZSH is installed in bin, so, so it's just slash bin slash ZSH. Then you can just close that terminal and open a new one, and it'll be ZSH instead of bash. Alternatively, if you don't want to do that, you can just type in ZSH and start a session of a ZSH shell. You, you, you'll, you'll be getting a subshell, essentially, of, a, of ZSH. So that, that works perfectly fine as well. When you do that, there are some setup steps, assuming you've never used ZSH before. So when you when you first launch it, it sort of declares what it is. It says this is the Z, the Z shell configuration function for new users, and it gives you a couple of options. You can quit and do nothing. You can exit creating a file dot zshrc in your home directory or you can continue to the main menu when you when you continue that's what i assume you would do you, when you continue it'll ask you for a couple of different things so for instance it lets you choose how many how, how much of a history you have and i think the default is to retain 1000 lines in your history file it asks you what kind of completion you would like and there are there are some default options that you can set them optionally uh uh, manually at your option, and those are kind of interesting because those are, I think, user-facing. I, I feel like that's some of the most exciting sort of things. Like there are all kinds of methods to have ZSH kind of almost predict what you're about to do, and that seems like it can be a powerful thing. I couldn't adjust to it and have had to turn it off. I I was not able to get used to ZSH sort of trying to guess what my what my what my most frequently used commands are it just didn't work out for me but but a lot of people do seem to like that and uh, and it's weird that I don't because again in in Emacs I do use an auto completion uh, library or routine for 
for a lot of my for, for when I type alt x in Emacs and, and I'm going to issue a command I use a, an auto completion for that and um, you know I, I turn it off half the time but the other half of the time I, I I I actually use it and it's correct and so I don't know I don't know why I don't use it in in ZSH but it is there if you want it and there are a couple of different options so one is just the default two if you want to adjust them manually you can also choose key bindings so you can use the the bash Emacs like key bindings or you can use Vim like key bindings and then finally you can uh, set up some of ZSH's uh, little little subtle features like um, you can stop using the CD command entirely by allowing ZSH to change to a directory to 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 a certain directory to your home directory when you provide a non-executable path. So you could just do, for instance, tilde, and then it would change to your home folder because there's nothing that's not executable itself, but it is a location on your on your file system. Uh, you could just type in slash or, or I guess uh, tilde slash demo or just demo if you're in your home directory already. So just demo. Well, if that's a folder on your in your home directory, ZSH recognizes that and changes directory into it. So that can be kind of kind of cool. And and I mean that's saving you uh, three key presses, CD space. You don't have to do that anymore. You just type in your destination. Really, really smart. I'm talking myself into using ZSH now. Okay, so um, that that's the initial configuration. You have to go through that once, and then you kind of never have to do that again. Um, but you can always go into .zshrc and modify modify things there. Uh, and I think it's also a command itself, zsh-newuser-install, something like that. So you have some options to kind of go back through and and change stuff. Okay, so um, like I say, once you once you're in ZSH, it basically feels like you're in Bash. You're not going to notice a difference at first, but there are some nice some nice features that you can kind of delve into eventually, and you'll start to kind of notice some of those some of those benefits. So, for instance, you could do an you you can you can find you can search in some unique ways. So for instance, in, in Bash, let's say that you have two files called foo.txt. One, uh, let's say, is located in your current directory, and the other is in a subdirectory called foo. So in Bash, you can list the file in your current directory with just an ls that would show you foo.txt. You could list the other file in within the foo directory by doing ls space foo, that, that you're giving it an explicit path to list. And to list both, you could use the dash dash recursive option or the dash capital R option, which which would which would display foo.txt in your current directory and foo.txt in your in your foo directory. In ZSH, you can do that all of that with asterisk asterisk. So ls asterisk asterisk slash foo.txt. And it it takes those the double asterisks to mean to search, or to, rather to list, or to to look at the current directory and all all directories that it can reach from from its current position. That's kind of cool, I guess. Uh, it could be kind of useful. Um, you can use this syntax with with any command too, not just ls. So imagine being able to to affect files in a in all files in a sub in a subtree just by by using asterisk, 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 slash. Wildcards in general work a little bit differently in ZSH than what a Bash user 
would be used to. So first of all, they can be modified. So if you want to list all folders in your current directory, you can use a modified wildcard. Meaning, for instance, you can do an ls. Well, ls will, will list everything. But, but let's say that you specifically want to list all directories. So ls space asterisk parentheses slash parentheses. That's telling ZSH to, yes, list everything of the type represented by a slash. So that, that's simply, it's telling, it, it's, it's special notation, telling that asterisk, it's, it's qualifying that asterisk to say that that asterisk only refers to directories. Um, the, uh, a dot symbol, so parentheses dot parentheses, would list all of the files in a folder. And then the parentheses at symbol would list all symlinks. And then to list all executables, it would be parentheses asterisk parentheses. So somewhat familiar notation. You know, if you use ls with a dash dash classify, you might kind of recognize some of those those conventions, like the asterisk to denote an executable file, a slash to denote a directory, the dot, that's a little bit new, and the at symbol, I feel, is somehow familiar, but I don't know why. Maybe it's from the ls-classify as well. Either way, these are these are modifiers to it, to the asterisk, so it's not just an asterisk, it's not just a wildcard. I mean, it is, but it is a, we have in one asterisk, we technically have uh, one, two, three, four, I guess five wildcards. We have just the wildcard that it is on its own anyway. And then it's got the, the forward slash, the dot, the at, and the asterisk. So you're, 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 you're typing a different sim symbol. It's just you're doing it with, with notation. Okay, it's not just aware of file types. It can list things or, or it can act on files. I'm just using ls as an example because it's a safe a safe example to use, but ls um, can also do it, it, or rather ZSH can also look at, for instance, modification time. And again, this uses wildcard with a modifier. So if you wanted to find a file that was modified within the past four hours, you would use the MH for modified and hours, and the negative integer of hours going back. So, for instance, ls audio slash asterisk parentheses mh, modified hours, minus four, close parentheses. You can do uh, a search, or, or you can locate files uh, by day as well, so md instead of mh. Although the, the syntax for that seems to be a little bit upside down, for me at least, so Modified days, if you want something older than, let's say, two days ago, then it would be md plus two instead of minus two. And I'm not really sure why that is, but, but there you go. So one is a negative, one is a positive integer. I don't know what the logic there is, but there's a lot of modifiers and qualifiers you can do to wildcards in ZSH. It's kind of a whole, a whole thing that you can, can follow through on and, and discover new ways of potentially increasing your efficiency, which is great. That is pretty great. Speaking of increased efficiency, don't you just hate it when you're typing in a path and you go to hit tab because you want Bash to autocomplete the name of that path for you, and and Bash goes to like the second letter and then stop. And so then you're hitting tab a bunch of times thinking, come on, complete the stupid thing, and it won't do it. And then eventually after you hit it like twice, but it always feels like it's eight times or something, um, then, then it, it tells you you know, it shows you the different completions that, that are available. So it might be, um, I don't know, f f foo, foo bar, foo baz. 
and you think, oh, that's right, I've got three FO entities that I could that I could be asking Bash to complete. So it, in this in that case, it would have typed foo, but then it would have stopped because it didn't know where you want to go from there. Is foo all you want, or do you want bar or baz? So then you type the B, and then you hit tab a couple of times, not realizing, oh yeah, well, BA. Okay, so now we're at the R and the Z, so I have to choose. So by the time you're finished all of this, your your real quick, real quick sort of tricky tab completion thing has turned into a frustrating tease of of lots of different forking paths. Very annoying. ZSH seeks to remedy this by sort of dynamically doing the same thing. And it, it does feel admittedly different and better. So if you type in a path and you, you reach a point at which it doesn't know which direction you want to go, rather than just sort of spitting out the possible completions for you, it integrates the completion into the command that you're typing. And then you can arrow over to the correct one that you want and then hit tab and, and, keep in, and then it, you just keep going. So it becomes sort of a um, an auto-completion selection game that keeps your hands kind of doing the same thing that they were already doing. You don't have to break out of your cycle of, okay, this is my, I'm hitting tab and then I'm, I'm typing the next path. It, it's all kind of, it feels very integrated. This is the kind of completion that I use for Emacs as well, and, and it does. It feels different because it is dynamic, whereas when Bash stops, it halts, and then forces you to type in further direction, that feels different. I, I'm not saying it's a game changer. I'm not saying it's something that I can't live without because apparently I am living without it because I'm using Bash. Uh, but it is quite nice. It is an interesting way to approach that frustration and it does seem to somehow be quite a relief. It, it really does actually, uh, it works quite nicely. Um, there's a lot with ZSH, honestly. There are a lot of different options for ZSH and I don't even know where I could begin, how to begin to... Um, to introduce it all. Info, there are info pages for ZSH, so if you type in info ZSH, you'll get all kinds of information on them, on on the, the different functions, the expansions, the conditional expressions, the, the way that it handles jobs, all of that stuff. It's, it's really, really a very complete, I mean, it is an it is an ecosystem. It is it is everything that Bash is, and then a bunch more. And so it's it's one of those things that you can really like. If if you're getting bored with kind of the the way that you compute right now, dive into ZSH and really really get to know it because there's just that much there for you to understand and discover. It is it's a big 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 application. So seriously, if if you're looking for the next big thing, look at ZSH. There's so much to discover, and I haven't even talked about one of the the most sort of visually obvious parts of ZSH, which are the ZSH themes. So if you've ever seen a screenshot of ZSH, you probably know that people running ZSH, they want to know that they're running ZSH. Like, they want their terminal to look different. And why not? I mean, if you can, why not? So there are a bunch of themes out there for ZSH, and they can get really, really complex. I'm talking, like, really, really creative stuff. And... Uh, one of the easiest ways to jump on board that train is to join the Oh My ZSH party. And uh, Oh My ZSH is a project which you can find at ohmyz.sh. So that's O-H-M-Y and the letter Z or Z dot S-H. There's a, a site there that'll introduce you to the whole thing. It's not 
all that difficult. You basically just you you clone the repository. So git clone github.com slash Robbie Russell slash O dash my dash ZSH space tilde slash dot O dash my dash ZSH. Clone that. And then what you're going to do is you're going to move the, the the ZSHRC file included with that project to your own .zshrc. Now, if you want to back up your own ZSHRC file, and you may if you've, if you've gotten it to a point where you really like it. Uh, I mean, for me, I've found that my .zshrc is pretty much just whatever ZSH gave me after the initial setup, so I didn't bother backing it up. But you can back it up all in one go. You do an, a, a move mv space dash b for backup, and then the path to your, your oh my ZSH file, so, or folder rather, which is in, in this case tilde slash dot o dash my dash ZSH slash templates slash zshrc dot zsh dash template and you're moving that to tilde slash dot zshrc so that that causes move the move command to to take the template file rename it to dot zshrc and it takes your existing dot zshrc and renames it to dot zshrc tilde okay now that that's all set you can do a source of your .zshrc to load all of the new settings for for zsh. You can also move it around. Um, I like to put mine in tilde slash dot local slash share, but it, it's up to you. You can you can set paths and and so on. the The theme that it sets your zsh to initially is called Robbie Russell. R o b b y r u s s e l l. That's the project's main, maintainer. And so it, it loads his custom configuration, which is pretty minimal in terms of what it changes. It doesn't it doesn't make your terminal blink and and flash or anything like that. It's it's very simple. But oh my ZSH being a theme theming project has a bunch of different themes, and you can find screenshots of each theme included in oh my ZSH on their wiki, which I'll link to in the show notes. And so you can set you can set your your theme from from Robbie Russell, and if you do a, like a grep on um, in your ZSHRC file, you'll you'll find the you'll find well an underscore theme capital T H E M E all caps underscore theme. If you grep for that, you'll find the line that sets the um, the, the terminal theme. So you would just um, you would just change that line. Now now some themes have dependencies, and that can be a little bit confusing because you, it. it Immediately, it won't be obvious in oh my zsh that it does require some other other uh, in installations. So, for instance, the agnoster a g n o s t e r theme requires a font called Powerline. If you don't have that, the theme doesn't quite work as designed, um, and it's a pretty fancy theme. It's, it's something you should look at. It does. It looks kind of quintessentially zsh. I think, at least right now, it seems to be something that I've seen in lots of screenshots. Um, but yeah, you would need to install a, a new font for that, and then change, and then set your 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 uh, ZSH theme to uh, Agnoster or whatever it was called. There are over 200 plugins that ship with Oh My ZSH. You can look at them in the plugins directory of the .dot Oh My ZSH folder that you cloned from GitHub. Uh, they're they're all they're, they're just lots of different little plugins that can do lots of different things. So there's um, there's a pass plugin, which is really, really ha- handy. That's what I use for my uh, password management. There's a git plugin, all kinds of things. Lots and lots and lots of, um, of, of plugins that let you do, that, that let you have 
little features that you probably don't need, but you probably do sometimes want. And as cool as all the theming and the plugins are, don't get too either overwhelmed or too starry-eyed over them because a lot of some of them really are not it, it's not like a whole new application in your terminal the themes are often uh, pretty simple there are things that you can duplicate in bash it, it's not actually zsh specific sometimes it is but not all the time it, it kind of depends it's just it, i feel like and and the plugins definitely are if if there's nothing zsh specific in the plugin then you can actually use it in bash I've done that before for the for the instance the uh, the Git plugin that totally works f in in Bash. Uh, there's a DNF plugin that I was using on Fedora for a while or Rel8 or something uh, in Bash. Firewall D I think was a Bash um, a Bash one which I used on Rel8. So there's a lot of things in there sort of brand themselves as ZSH themes or ZSH plugins and so on. And then if you look at it, it's it's actually just a couple of fancy aliases and that sort of thing. So while Oh My ZSH is a fun little project, and I feel like for for certain types of users, I think it's probably great. And, and this is exactly, I mean, it, it is great. It, this is exactly what I what I say often about open source projects and the way that we provide alternatives is that sometimes what you what you need is a prepackaged menu selection for people so that they don't have to do so much work to discover the alternatives that are provided. And and that's what Oh My ZSH is doing. It gives you all the things in an, a neat little package that, you know, the, the critique against it would be, well, it's abstracting it too much and people think it's magic and so on. And that's a valid critique and a valid concern, I guess. But at the same time, it's also abstracting it a lot so people don't have to figure this out it is magic and that's a great thing sometimes you do just you just want that i i don't know if you know maybe maybe the answer is just better communication just kind of like telling people hey look this isn't magic this is something that you could do yourself uh through some other by some other means and then people know that yes they're using oh my zsh but it's a convenience function only and it can actually be done in any other way in some other way or and in some cases it can be done on other shells or, or whether it's not even a maybe that doesn't need to be communicated and people can just discover it themselves I, I do feel like sometimes it's a little bit annoying when you say well what do you like about zsh and someone says oh well it's 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 themes are really great or it's plugins are amazing and and they're weird things that just it's like well you could have made aliases in any shell rc really that's not that big of a deal that's silly. So, I don't know. I guess admire ZSH for what it actually brings to the table and not for what, and not for the culture around it. And and as I say that, I realize how horrible that is. I mean, do, do admire ZSH for the culture around it. It is fantastic that there's a culture of hacking and modding around ZSH. I think that's really, really exciting, and I think that's, it's great that such a thing that, that, that Oh My ZSH exists, that someone was inspired to make that a thing and people keep contributing to it. I think it's amazing. It's really, really exciting. Very cool. But at the same time, we, we should also just keep in mind the technology underlying it all and, and just kind of recognize what's, what is actually unique and what's not necessarily unique. Because it's important to, to not make things magic, right? Things, things need to not be magical. We, we should understand. We should strive to understand how these things are working. That was just a long way of saying that ZSH is very, very cool. I should probably be using it, but ultimately I'm not going to anytime soon because I really like 
bash and i have bash set up in a way that, that that it and i work together very smoothly and i think it would take a long time for me to get comfortable and friendly with a different shell so that's why i'm using bash and um and i guess there's always that fear that latent fear well if i start using zsh then i'm gonna have to then my shell scripts are gonna start using zsh syntax and then my shell scripts are gonna become zsh only and i already have a hard enough time keeping my shell scripts POSIX compliant rather than bash compliant. And frankly, I'm not even convinced that that is worth doing. So so yeah, I feel like bash is just that nice, safe, sort of middle of the road, safe shell to use. And that's why I'm using it. But you should try ZSH if it sounds like something that you would enjoy. Because it is a very fun little shell. It has lots of cool features. And it may improve your life. It may improve your computing experience. And that's never a bad thing. That is everything in the AP package set. We're done. That's it. No more AP package set to go. We are now in the D for development package set starting next episode. listening to the GNU World Order AugCast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as AugCast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. surrounded by what we most fear.